I think finding your calling is really about becoming who you are. It's not about doing something. It's about becoming who you really are. And then from that place of knowing this is who I am, this is what I'm made to do, you have a lot of freedom. Welcome everyone to Do Well and Do Good. You're here because you have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. I'm your host, Dorothy Ilson, and I'm here to help you discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited to introduce to you today's guest, Jeff Goins. If you don't know Jeff already, he is a writer, speaker, and entrepreneur who is widely recognized as the best-selling author of five books, including Real Artists Don't Starve and one of my personal favorites, The Art of Work. His award-winning blog, GoinsWriter.com, is visited by millions of people every year. And through Jeff's online courses, events, and coaching programs, he helps thousands of writers to find success. Jeff's work has been featured in the Washington Post, USA Today, Entrepreneur, Forbes, and literally hundreds of other publications. I actually had the pleasure of meeting Jeff at my first ever conference speaking gig where he happened to be giving the keynote. And that's when I got the chance to invite him here to talk with me today. In this conversation, we talk about what to do when you feel like you don't know what your purpose is, what your dream is, or when you're trying to you know, really find your lane, find the place that you can shine and set yourself apart from other people in your industry. He gives really actionable advice about what that process looks like. And then we talk about really what fulfillment means to Jeff and how he looks at contribution and turning your purpose, turning your passion, you know, what you do day in and day out into something that is going to impact the lives of so many people. I couldn't have enjoyed my conversation with Jeff more. And before I share it with you, I want to remind you to make sure you're following me on Instagram. That is the best place to stay on top of what's going on with the show, find out who my guests are each week, and to connect with me personally. You can find me at Dorothy Ilson, and I would absolutely love to hear from you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jeff Goins. Jeff, thank you so much for being on. I'm so grateful to you for, uh, for doing this with us. Oh, thank you, Dorothy. I'm, I'm glad to be here. The gratitude is all mine. Awesome. Well, you know, before we dive into your story, Jeff, kind of set the stage for me. What was life like for you growing up? And what were the beliefs around success and money that were instilled in you as a young person? I grew up what I would consider lower middle class. We probably didn't have a household income of more than $20,000 a year. Uh, my dad was kind of a blue collar worker. My mom uh, would work part-time jobs as well. Growing up in the Midwest, as you probably know, uh, middle class, you know, sort of hard work ethic. If you want something, you have to work hard for it. So, um, you know, in regards to money, work, you know, that the idea was if um, that is that life is hard, and if you want to make money, you need to work really hard, but don't make too much money because we don't trust rich people. They probably did something immoral to to accumulate that much wealth. 
so, I mean, that's, you know, just sort of that middle class Midwestern mentality about um, work and money, I, I think is um, you, you want it and yet you're afraid to have too much of it. So did you do any sort of deliberate work around your own money mindset as you've moved throughout your career as an entrepreneur? I mean, yes. I don't know that I consciously said, I'm going to change the way I think about money. Most of life, you know, it, until you become, I guess, aware of, of why you're doing the things you're doing, it tends to be reactive. So I remember growing up, not having a lot, not needing a lot, thinking, but, but remembering that my parents were very stressed about debt and that every night at dinner time, I remember the phone would ring. And we would pick up the phone because those were bill collectors. They were calling during mealtimes because that's when they knew they could catch you. And so I just remember the stress that it caused them. And so I, I do remember at some point sort of making an agreement with myself that like I wasn't going to live my life that way. I, was, I didn't need a lot, but I wasn't going to uh, be in need. I wasn't going to need something from other people. And so I went to college on basically a full-ride scholarship. I would work a, a job... Um, in the summer to pay for my books. So I didn't have any college debt. That was really important to me. Uh, I never really had a credit card. At one point, I realized my mom had taken out a credit card in my name to like help me build credit. And I was like, I don't want that. Get rid of that. I don't want that. And then uh, my MO for a long time was um, not to make a bunch of money or you know achieve success, but rather to just um, not need anything, to live very simply. And that, that's how I worked for a long time. I worked for a nonprofit organization. I, I fundraised my salary. I worked for a Christian ministry where we sent missionaries all over the world. Um, so I w was okay with frugality. I just didn't want to uh, need anything from anybody. And kind of accidentally, I started a business and became an author and frankly, made more money than I knew what to do with it and then had to deal with that side of things as well. And there was a lot of guilt and shame and fear associated with that that I had to work through. Right. Well, so, you know, to that that point of you kind of, you know, becoming a writer on accident, um, you know, I mentioned in the intro, I'm a massive fan of The Art of Work. Oh, thanks. I enjoyed rereading it uh, to prepare for this interview. But, you know, I think, Jeff, what I like most about it is that it gives practical action steps for someone who, you know, like myself, has often felt like I don't really know what my purpose or my my dream is. And and I know that that message really does come from a very personal place since you were in that position at one point as well. So you know, could you share that story of your kind of aha moment of realizing that writing was your life's vocation? Yeah. So, uh, you know, what you're referring to, uh, I sometimes think of as the, like, you just know myth. Like, how did you know that you were supposed to do this? Well, I just knew. Grandma, how, are you, you know, how did you know that grandpa was the one for you? I just knew. It's a nice idea. Uh, I find that life doesn't always work that way. And that when you really get to the root of any major decision, uh, most people don't just know. There may be some intuitive sense of what's right or wrong, but most of us are making big decisions uh, doubting ourselves a little bit, wondering what if this and what if that, and there's fear and questions, and that's what it's like to be human. And so I, I wondered, you know, as I was writing this book and reflecting on my own journey of discovering what I would now consider a calling, did I ever just know, or was it really just a series of steps? And as I moved in the right direction, um, the next step and, and the journey became more clear as I went. And I think a lot of us tend to wait for clarity before we're willing to act. And what I've learned from my experience is clarity only comes with action. 
so there, but there was there were aha moments. There were steps in the process, and one of those was um, I was I don't know that I was even trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I was just feeling frustrated. And I think this is actually a pretty good place to start. If you find yourself frustrated with your job, with your life, with your relationships, that's a sign in your soul that there's something that needs to change. And so I was feeling frustrated. And I think I was frustrated with the fact that uh, my life was starting to look a little bit normal, a little bit boring. I was married. We're getting ready to start a family. I had a full-time job. And I felt like there was more that I was supposed to be doing that I wasn't doing. And so I was uh, part of this coaching program and we met every other month for a year. And uh, one of the members in the coaching program, not the coach himself, but one of the other like students, if you will, asked me what my dream was. And I said, I didn't know. I said, I didn't have a dream. And, and I kind of explained away why I didn't need one of those. I had a job. I was a responsible citizen. Because all of my friends who had had dreams had pursued those and failed and were now working at Starbucks. And it, it just like, I felt like the whole business was kind of flaky, right? Like, I've got a dream, you know? I just didn't buy it. And I felt like I didn't, I couldn't do that because I was too responsible. I'm the oldest of four kids. I, I went off, to, I was the first one in my extended family to graduate from college. And like, I, I sort of prided myself on doing the responsible, right, good thing. And yet, there, there were desires, there were urges, there were things that I wanted to do that I wasn't afraid to admit. So this guy asked me, you know, what your dream, what's your dream? I said, I didn't know. He said, really? He said, I would have thought your dream was to be a writer. And I said, oh, yeah, I mean, why do you think that? He's like, well, you're writing all the time. I, all you talk about is writing. You read books about writing. Seems really important to you. <laughs> and, I, and I realized in that moment, like sometimes we are the last ones to realize certain things about ourselves. Um, and we need community. We need people that are willing to tell us the truth that at a deep, deep level, I think we know, but we're just in denial of. And um, I said, yeah, you're right. I, I would like to be a writer someday, but uh, that'll never happen. I think this is a really this is a really common story, right? You know, we have these these passions, these things that we're interested in, but it never occurs to us that that's something we can actually pursue. Yeah, I, I was afraid. I was really afraid. And uh, I was afraid to admit that I wanted something other than what I had because that felt wrong or selfish or something. And uh, I said, you know, that'll probably never happen. And he just looked at me and he said, Jeff, you don't have to want to be a writer. You are a writer. You just need to write. And I had had a series of conversations and moments over the previous few months. And this was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. The last thing where I was like, all right, all right, okay, <laughs> I'll do it. And when he said that, it just immediately resonated. You are a writer. You just need to write. And uh, the next day, I started a brand new blog. I had nine other failed blogs before uh, that I had started, you know, kind of in a fit of passion, got bored with and quit. And, and this... 10th blog for whatever reason. I was just so frustrated with myself, uh, with quitting and failing. Then I was like, I'm not going to quit this one. I'm going to do this for two years every day without fail before I quit. Wow. And in that moment when I started that blog, I mean, there was just, there was something different about it. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? I was, there was, a, there was an energy that I had brought to this thing that I had actually tried to do before and failed at for many years. I just wasn't going to do that that way again. And I, what I learned is that activity follows identity, that before you can 
do something, you have to become someone. There are some things that we won't do until we reconcile at a deep level who we really think we are and what we really believe about ourselves. And I started behaving as if I were a writer. I, I, and I really believed it. And I, I don't think of this as much like faking it till you make it, although you know, it, it may sound like that. But for me, it's more like believing it till you become it, right? So like this was really, really important to me. I had always wanted to do it. And yet I wasn't actually trying that hard because I was afraid that I would fail. And I think we do this a lot actually with dreams. We go, I'd like to do that someday, right? But you're not working on it today. And so you have to actually get honest with yourself about whether or not you really want it. Do you like the idea of it or the actual thing itself? Uh, another author, a guy named Austin Kleon says that everybody wants to be the noun without doing the verb, right? You want to be an author without spending two years writing and publishing a book, right? And like, that's the difference between this would be nice someday. I'd like to go to Bora Bora and like saving up money and, and planning the vacation and, and doing it. I'd like to be married someday versus like dating a number of people, finding out who you like, who you want to be with, what you want, planning a wedding, doing that. Like the reality of the thing that we say that we want is always more difficult than just like dreaming about it. But I got tired of doing that. And that day I was like, I am going to be a writer and I'm going to do whatever I understand writers to do. And that began with writing a little bit every day. And that is the same blog that today gets literally millions of views, right? I mean, you just yep. did it. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I think, Jeff, honestly, one of the one of the struggles I run into when I interview someone whose work I am, at, you know, very familiar with is that there's so many things that I want to talk about. <laughs> sure. What I will say is that for anyone listening who, you know, is feeling like they're in that place, you know, you, you don't know what your dream is, what your purpose is, you know, go pick up The Art of Work. It is absolutely phenomenal. I think reading it for the, the second time, I just got new things out of it that, you know, I, I think were just... Uh, coming from a different perspective now a couple of years later and if you are a creative you know Jeff's uh, one of Jeff's other books real artists don't starve that is the book for you so I am uh, gonna resist the temptation <laughs> to dive into more questions about um, about those pieces but you know I think when when you gave um, when you gave that keynote when we met in person if I remember correctly you talked about this idea of finding your lane so you know, what does that mean to you and why is it so important for entrepreneurs today? One of the things that I particularly struggle with, and I've struggled with this my whole life, is comparison. You know, and so uh, a lane is, you know, your work. It's the thing that you do, passion, hobby, dream, whatever. You get into this lane, say it's writing, say it's a certain kind of business, whatever it might be, and you start doing this activity for a while. And then you kind of look at somebody else's lane and you go, oh, that looks pretty good you know, that looks fun. Maybe I'll, I'll hop over there and try that. And if you do that enough times, you actually don't make any progress, right? You know, and you can think of it however you want, like a swimming lane where you're swimming, you know, across the pool instead of, you know, stay in your lane and get, and get to where you need to go as fast as possible. And I actually think this is very common in the world of entrepreneurship. Um, and you see this a lot with even like local small businesses, which was kind of the context under which we were meeting at a lot, a lot of, it was a small business, a local small business conference. And there are, um, you know, like local restaurant opens up and they serve, you know, brunch, right? So omelets and toast and mimosas or something. But then, you know, somebody asks, well, you know, 
do you, well, uh, I, I like to work out. Do you serve protein bars? And so they start stocking protein bars, right? And then somebody else asks about smoothies and they start doing smoothies. And all of a sudden there's like 87 things on the menu and somebody walks in and they get completely overwhelmed and they go, well, I don't, I don't know. I'm going to go to the biscuit shop because all they sell is biscuits. On one hand, it can be um, really nice to be able to say, hey, we do everything. Um, the, the, on the other hand, there's a cost to that. There's always a cost to that, right? And, and from a restaurant perspective, I, I grew up working in restaurants. If you have a lot of inventory, if you have a lot of food in the back that you're trying to sell and you're selling 87 things on the menu, some of that food's going to spoil or it's not going to be that good because it's been sitting on the shelf or in the refrigerator for too long. And it's just not that interesting, especially these days when everything is niching down and like the food world is especially this way, at least in Nashville where I live, like literally there's a place that just sells biscuits, but like they're the best biscuits in the world, right? I gotta go there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. And this other place, you know, uh, literally just sells grilled cheese sandwiches, you know, but it's the best grilled cheese sandwiches in the world. Um, They're like, you know, gourmet grilled cheese. And so if you want to get known for something, you know, this is sort of a marketing idea, then it's better to get really known for one thing you have a better bet of being considered the best or the leader or the authority in a certain space if you get really good at something and everybody knows about it versus trying to be really good at 87 things. I mean, how is that even possible? So finding a lane and staying in it is really the process of one, becoming self-aware. What am I good at? What do people want from me? What are the needs that I'm meeting in the work that I'm doing? choosing to get really good at that, right? Self-awareness, then making a a conscious choice to master that particular field and then resisting the temptation, saying no to all opportunities to do something other than the work that's going to help that primary thing. And most people just, uh, one, are afraid of going all in on something at the risk of you know excluding all the other opportunities or two they just don't know they actually don't know what they are good at and so they're trying a bunch of different things all the while diluting their effort and never really getting really good at one thing so is the process you know say say someone you know they they follow the steps that you lay out in you know the art of work to figure out you know what their kind of large the 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 swimming pool is for for lack of a better better phrase if then they're struggling to find out what the lane is is it is the process the same really to to figure out the lane or does that look different than kind of the larger goal of finding the swimming pool I think it's a great, I mean, that's a, that's a good analogy. I might use that, you know, like <laughs> step, step one is to figure out, am I even in the right building, right? Like I'm on the tennis court and I'm a swimmer, right? Just beginning to understand who you really are and what you're here to do. And, you know, going back to the art of work, a skill that I, I think continues to um, benefit me throughout life. And it's, it's the first chapter in the book. And really it is the skill that you use throughout the entire process of, Uh, becoming your true self, finding your calling, doing your life's work, whatever that looks like to you, the language that you use doesn't really matter. It's the point of of, like, you're here to do something. What is that something? Let's figure it out. Purpose, mission, goal. I don't care what you call it. Let's figure that out. And most people I talk to feel like they have something like that and feel a little bit frustrated that they're not doing more of that thing or, or, or don't even know what it is. So yeah, like step one is to go, Let's figure out what that is. And the skill is what's called listening to your life. Parker Palmer, uh, a Quaker author, activist, neat guy, 
brilliant writer says, before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, I need to listen to my life telling me who I am. So you need to listen to your life. What that means practically is um, you just pay attention, right? You are aware of the things that you're good at, that you like, and that other people want from you. What am I good at? What do I like? What do other people want from me? You, if you figure that out, passion, skill, demand, I love this, I'm good at this, and other people seem to benefit from this, and you continue to ask that question throughout your life over and over and over again, where is the intersection of these three areas? You're always going to have a job. You know, you're always going to find work to do, and you're always going to enjoy it, right? Those are always meaningful activities, right? We don't want to do things that we're not very good at. We don't want to do things that we're good at that people want from us that we don't enjoy, right? That feels like a like drudgery, like a day job. Uh, and at the same time, we can't expect uh, people to pay us or pay attention or reward us in any way if um, they don't need what we're what, like what we're excited about. Uh, and so, listening to your life again is just the process of one. You asking questions of yourself, too, I think it means inviting other people into the conversation, right? Again, it's, it, self-awareness is you just kind of questioning your thoughts, beliefs, assumptions, et cetera. You know, the, the 25-cent word for this is metacognition. When you think something, there is an awareness. You go, Why do I think that, right? You ever had that happen? You're like, I had some crazy thought, and there is a part of your mind, your brain, your consciousness that goes, that's crazy. You're a crazy person right now, right? And it's like, well, who's, who's, who's the one calling the other one crazy? Like, now I'm really crazy because I got two voices going on. But we do that all the time. And to be, begin to become aware of the fact that I am living this life and uh, there are certain choices that I have. And so if my life were a story and I looked back over the past five years, 10 years, 25 years, what are some of the themes that keep coming up? What does that do to me? Am I excited about that? For me, it was like, oh, I've always written. I've always been creative. So for me to say I'm a writer was actually not that difficult in the sense that like I believed it at a very deep level, but I was really, really afraid to admit it. And so, yes, I think you know, finding your lane, figuring out what you want to do is just more of that. It is continually kind of going down the rabbit hole, going down the drain of of listening, paying attention. What are you good at? What do you like? Uh, what at an intuitive level do you feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing? And then really the process is just that. It's listening to that and taking small steps in the right direction and see what happens. It, transformation is actually not that difficult, but we spend most of our times not taking steps and not becoming self-aware. So what do we do? We look at what other people are doing compare ourselves to them, look at those other lanes, right? And that's a distraction. We fantasize, oh, my life will be better when I you know, get to the swimming pool, right? Instead of like, wait, where's the swimming pool? Oh, it's eight blocks away. I'm going to start walking towards the swimming pool, right? I, I had a friend who quit his job. I told this story actually in The Art of Work. Um, after 10 years of working as a technical writer for a big Fortune 500 company, on his last day, he had saved up a year's worth of uh, living expenses for himself and his family, Quits his job, so not an irresponsible, rash thing to do. Had thought about it for years, had started this side business that he was hoping to turn into a full-time income, but it wasn't there yet, but he had a year runway. And people asked him on his last day, like, what are you going to do about health insurance? What are you going to do about this? How are you going to send your kids to college? Like all these questions. And he had answers to some of them, but others he didn't. He goes, I don't know. And he eventually got so frustrated um, somebody said, what are you gonna do about retirement? What, you know, 401k, you know, how, how can you leave? You know? And he said, look, I don't know. 
The way I see it is I'm in Kansas right now. He was actually in Pennsylvania, but it was a metaphor, right? But where I see it, I'm in Kansas right now. And I've always dreamed of living on the beach. But for my whole life, that's just been a dream. And one day, I just decided to pack everything up and start driving towards water. I don't know where on the beach I'm going to sit. I don't know which umbrella I'm going to get. I don't know if I'm going to go up the coast this way or that way. All I know is I'm driving towards water. And I, and I think that's the process of finding your life's work, doing the thing that only you can do, just getting more clarity. Life is really, if you're living a conscious existence where you're learning from your mistakes, when you're, where you're trying to grow, it just should be this continual process of getting more and more clear on who you are and what you want. It doesn't mean there aren't bumps in the road and setbacks and all of that. Uh, but yeah, finding your lane, figuring out, really, it's a question of what do I do better than almost everyone else in my field, in the world, in my industry, whatever. And um, that's not as difficult as it might sound because most people are trying to do too many things and they're not actually aware of what they're good at, what they should be doing. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting the way you put it because I, thinking back in my own journey, I was sort of doing that and not even really recognizing it. I mean, I, um, you know, basically two weeks after I graduated from college, I was supposed to go work for PwC, huge accounting firm. And I called them up and told them I wasn't coming. And at the time, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew I didn't want to do that. I knew I knew that I was on the wrong track, that I didn't want to be an accountant like I had thought that I I did, you know, going through school. And you know, if I hadn't have been able to just move away from that, even not really knowing where I was going to end up, um, you know, I never would have gotten here. And so, you know, getting that kind of clarity I think is um, you know, is is incredibly important and not just you know, as you've talked about, not just kind of hoping for it or, you know, crossing your fingers and waiting for it to come to you, but taking actual steps of how you say listening to your life and, and figuring out what it's telling you. Yeah. Action always creates clarity. And people are really afraid of action because they think if I do this, it's reversible and I can't undo it. But the way I think of action, I think of it more as building a bridge than taking a leap. So there's very few decisions that you can make in life that aren't reversible. Because most big decisions are a series and sequence of decisions. Getting married, getting divorced, getting a college degree, uh, having children. There are points of no return, okay, to be clear <laughs> for some of those. But the first step, you know, is, is always like, I think I want to have a kid, right? So that looks like maybe we read a marriage book or have a conversation with your partner or stop using birth control. But like there are usually a sequence of steps and until you get so far down the path, often you can go, I actually don't want to do this, right? So if you're not sure about anything, right? Do I want to grow the business? Do I want to move here? Do I want to close this down? Do I want to quit that job? Like what do I want to do? And you can't figure it out just by thinking about it because most of, most of us think about it ask other people's opinions or complain about it, right? Uh, and that's fine. But none of those things are action. Those are just ways to sort of dwell on the, the problem, which is I don't know what I should do. And when in doubt, take one step. Worst case scenario, literally, if you take the, the smallest possible step is you will realize it was the wrong step. You made a mistake and you just accept the consequences of that decision and then go from there. Again, at a certain point, some decisions are like you reach the point of no return. You go, okay, like 
we're now married, right? <laughs> like I can't back out of it. Anymore. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. Or like the baby is coming, right? So, <laughs> and, and, and that's fine. Uh, but most decisions, they're, they're a sequence and a series of decisions. And so if you're stuck, if you don't have clarity, act, do something, you will either learn it was the wrong decision, you don't really want this, or you go, oh, hey, this, this, this feels good. Even when I do things that I'm terrified of, I did this recently, even when I do things that I'm terrified of, once I make one small move in that direction, I feel better because I'm getting more information, I'm getting feedback. And um, yeah, I mean, action will always produce clarity, even if the clarity is like, nope, bad, bad call, dude, shouldn't have done that. Okay, now I know, but I didn't know before. So I had to do something. And just sitting here feeling miserable about it wasn't working. And that's where, that's where most people stay. And that's where most people live their lives. And, and it's not a fun place to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for, for everyone listening, if you're looking for one, one takeaway from this episode, it's certainly that because, you know, not only does action create clarity, but it also is the only thing that's going to get you through fear, uh, you know, of, of what it's going to hold. So, you know, shifting gears a little bit, Jeff, the, the whole, ethos of do well and do good is, you know, about how we can leverage our success to, you know, to fulfill what I believe is this human need that we have for for contribution and for impact. And so, you know, I'm curious, when you do find your vocation, that thing that you feel like you were meant to pursue, your calling, you know, does that automatically come with fulfillment or are those separate objectives in your mind? I tried to write that book in such a way where I knew that a few years after writing it, I would think differently about this. And really, you know, I got to the end of writing that book, which was a discovery process for me. Every book is me having experienced something, but also trying to figure out what that means at a deeper level. I'm curious about something and I'm trying to figure it out, right? So The Art of Work was about me going from doing something I felt like this isn't really what I'm meant to do, to doing something I feel like this is more of what I feel like I'm meant to do. And then the end of the process or the book or whatever is, and I'm constantly refiguring that out, right? Like I'm always going deeper down the rabbit hole. So it's not like now I'm a writer and everything is all writer centric and now I'm fulfilled and everything's great. There's other questions and problems and considerations because I continue to listen to my life and you are always being pulled deeper down into who you really are if you're trying to do this. I think the question was, once you find your calling, does that lead to contribution? Something like that? Yeah. I mean, does that, does that come with fulfillment or is going after fulfillment, is that a different, you know, kind of a different animal? Yeah. Um, I was just talking to a friend about this and he said, um, he said, I've lived my whole life. He's in his late fifties now. He said, I've lived my life chasing the next thing. Because he's like the guy who's like the first person to sign up for the conference or the course or the program or the, you know, whatever. Like he's always the first person in line to get the next thing because he's very interested in discovery. It's like a pioneer. And uh, he said, I, but I always thought, I said, well, what did that get you? He said, well, it made me a lot of money. got me a lot of recognition, but it also made me miserable. And I said, why? He said, because I always thought the next thing was the thing. And I would get the next thing and it wasn't, it was, it didn't fulfill me. It didn't complete me. And I would feel sad about that. I'll go, well, next time, you know, it's going, it's going to work. Right. And I think sometimes fulfillment can feel like that. Like if I could only do this, I would be fulfilled. I think 
finding your calling is really about becoming who you are. It's not about doing something. It's about becoming who you really are. And then from that place of knowing this is who I am, this is what I'm made to do, you have a lot of freedom. Now you can do whatever. And, and for me, that means there are certain things that I always just naturally gravitate towards and I find to be enjoyable, fulfilling, et cetera. Writing, creativity, speaking, sharing ideas, thinking about things, reading, making things. Always fun, always exciting. Uh, and there are things that I've always found to be draining, you know? Uh, <laughs> cleaning up after myself, <laughs> you know, uh, b- b- budgeting, you know, uh, general administrative tasks about life and uh, details, you know. And so I was spending a lot of my time doing things that I was terrible at and I didn't enjoy doing and nobody really wanted me to do, but I just felt like I had to do that to be a responsible person. And so getting some awareness about who I am, how I'm made, what kind of makes me feel alive. It, it does give me a rubric. It gives me a set of principles by which I can live my life and contribute the most amount of value and also enjoy myself uh, the most. So um, I would never say, go find your calling and then you'll feel fulfilled. What I would say is, as you become more aware of who you really are, as you understand the who I am, who you are, the what you should do in some ways is automatic, Right. And, and it's not, so it's not a job, right? It's not a, it's not a business. It's not a thing, although it can look that way. And you may have to quit this thing to open up some space to do the next thing. Like you said, like I, I knew I didn't want that. Sometimes that's enough. I don't want that. Great. So say no to that and see what happens next. That's listening too, right? But yes, I mean, to, to answer the question as succinctly as possible, the more you move in the direction of what you are supposed to do, And that could just be something simple. That's what you want to do right now. If you want to do X and you're doing Y, you're going to be a little bit unhappy. And then you'll do what most people do, which is justify to yourself why you can't have X and you need Y. And that works for so long. But then you see people who have Y and you have X and you resent them. You envy them. You try to tell stories to yourself about why they're not actually happy with that. They must be a terrible mom or spouse or friend or whatever because they're, you know, they have too much money or whatever it is, you know? When in reality, like, it's just, it's, it's reminding you that you don't have something that you actually want. And so anytime you move in the direction of what you want and who you think you really are, that's going to be fulfilling. So long as you understand, like, this next meal that I eat isn't going to fulfill me forever. Uh, this next thing that I do, you know, using metaphors here, this next thing that I do is going like, I'm just going to stay here. No, it's the thing that you want now. It's the thing that you're thirsty for, you're hungry for now. So great, go do that. But understand that the whole journey is the process, the whole journey of being alive and and trying new things and, and sharing what you're learning and experiencing with other people. Like that's that's the thing. So I think the journey itself of becoming who you are, which is a lifelong process, continually asking the question, is this really me? Does this really work right now? Am I doing, am I in my sweet spot of doing what I love and what I'm good at and what people want uh, and continuing to hone and refine that? That's a very fulfilling experience. Um, what can not be fulfilling is when you go camp out somewhere, you're climbing a mountain, you go, this is it. This is the peak. This is the mountaintop. Are you sure? Because it looks, looks like there's more mountain up there. Nope, this is it. We're done. This is where I want to be. And you know, it's, it's a cliche, but the journey really is the destination. And I think that's enough when most people are content to sit at the 
bottom of the mountain and look at the peak and go, wow, I want to take pictures of that. I want to buy postcards and send them to my friends. But nobody goes, well, what's it like up there? I want to like, I want to walk up there. That's brave. That's crazy. Think about that in like the non-metaphorical sense. Like everybody thinks mountains are huge and majestic and great. How many people actually climb mountains? Very few people. So what we're talking about is somewhat rare. Self-actualization, finding your calling, creating something that is personally fulfilling to you and beneficial to others. That's, that's climbing a mountain. And I just got sick of standing and looking at it and taking pictures and telling stories about us. Like I at least kind of like take a few steps and see what it's like. I couldn't love that answer more. I mean, so often we think of all these things as as a destination. And, you know, the reality is you just gotta start moving in in the right direction and or moving in moving in any direction that is is closer to where you're trying to go. And um, you know, they it just reminded me of the expression half of success is showing up. It's like half of success is just starting and getting on the path. Yeah. 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 Well, so uh, Jeff, as we wrap up here, uh, you know, my, my final question for you, I'm curious for you personally, what role does giving back play in purpose and fulfillment? So I come from a nonprofit background and, um, and have worked for a number of, of charitable and uh, charitable organizations, religious organizations, ministries, et cetera. My experience of this has been kind of a sort of a, a full circle. Um, to be honest, I, I started the business with a lot of guilt-ridden feelings about money. And so I gave 10% off the top of every dollar I made in the business um, to charity. Uh, and I did that really because I felt guilty. And so we did a lot of good, built a lot of buildings, helped a lot of people, and that was great. But, but it really was a sense of shame um, and fear. I didn't trust myself with the money and I felt like I, like m- having too much money was bad. And if I was making this much money, I better be giving away a lot of it. And I felt bad that I was only giving away 10%. You know, some years it was 15, sometimes 20, but like, I just, I felt bad about it. And, um, you know, not too long ago, I've sort of deconstructed some of those ideas and realized like, I don't have to make myself feel bad about the things that I have to be able to part with some of them to help other people. And in fact, in some ways I'm damaging the gift, you know, and, uh, and I was doing a lot of good, but you know, I was doing it from a really sick place, uh, unhealthy place. And so now to me, contribution looks different, but some, but often the same internally, completely different externally, maybe similarly, I think of contribution in, in sort of three, as, a, as an entrepreneur, I think of it in, in three levels. Uh, one, my work is a contribution. Back to that. <laughs> yeah, helping people solve a problem, whether that's writing a book that inspires somebody to change their life or teaching an online course or speaking you know, at a conference. The work in and of itself is a gift. And I really feel that way. Like, I feel like it was a gift I received, you know, like there are certain skills and passions that I have that not everybody else has. And, and I feel like it's a gift to share that. So even when I get paid, it, it is an act of generosity. And I'm happy to get paid. But like every business owner that I know needs to first understand that, um, that their work in and of itself is a gift and it's okay to profit from that. Because I know plenty of small business owners who don't have, they can't part with 10% of their profit to, you know, give back. And I think if you are meeting a need, like if you are feeding people, if you are housing them, if you are, you know, cleaning up trash on the street or whatever, like these are real needs. You are already giving, you don't have to give back. Like that's a contribution. So for me, that's 
one, like the work that I do has to feel like a gift. It's not just about making money. But if I am actually meeting the need of somebody else, of course, they're going to want to pay for that if they can, right? The second way I think about uh, contribution is in the form of, uh, of um, what we typically call charity or generosity, where we take a percentage of the revenue of the business and, and give it to different projects. Um, and I do a lot of work overseas in the developing world because, again, I come from a kind of a missionary background where we did a lot of work in different countries. And uh, that's just important to me and it's fun. I have sort of a, a rubric for things that causes that matter uh, to me and to the business. And um, yeah, we do that. Then the third way in which I try to, you know, quote unquote, give back is um, just time, you know, helping people pursue their dreams, meeting with friends, helping uh, people work through, you know, uh, anything and just like doing things like this. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, um, yeah. And uh, I, the greatest benefit, you know, I've gotten out of my journey uh, from other people was their time. Wasn't their money, wasn't a connection. I mean, those things are helpful. It was somebody sitting with me for an hour and listening, helping me solve a, solve a problem, encouraging me, whatever it was. And so I, I recognize the, the gift of just simply showing up, having lunch with somebody, being able to say yes when you can with no agenda other than I'm here, how can I help? Um, and that's it. And, and so the, those three areas of contribution feel a lot healthier to me than, oh crap, I'm making too much money. I've got to find ways to give it away. No, no, no. The, all the work is a gift. That's great. We start with generosity. Then we're going to give away some of it. But we're also going to like, I'm going to reinvest in the business because I want to continue. That is the best way that I can serve the most amount of people is in a sustainable model where I am offering uh, services and products in exchange for money so that I can keep doing that um, in paying the people that I pay and you know all, all of those expenses. But then also you know being generous with um, what we have that's left over, contributing to things that I think matter that might not happen otherwise. And then, yeah, being open to helping people as those opportunities arise. Wow, Jeff. Well, that was just incredibly well said and, and such such an important perspective. I mean, that, that really at its core, uh, you know, speaks to valuing yourself and, and valuing what you do and, and what you bring to the world. So, you know, lastly, Jeff, before we say goodbye, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, your business, and to follow your content? Give us the links. Oh, thanks, Dorothy. Uh, you can just find me on my blog. I have got a podcast, blog, etc. I talk about business creativity, etc. at goinswriter.com. Goins, or as they say in the South, Goins. I, mean, I live in Tennessee <laughs> now, but you, you know better. Uh, G-O-I-N-S, like coins, but with a G, writer.com. Amazing. Well, you know, Jeff, I can honestly tell you that I have been looking forward to this conversation all summer long and and you absolutely delivered. And so, you know, thank you for your time, for, you know, for, for the wisdom that you've shared and uh, for doing this with me. My pleasure. All right, everyone, that's our show. Now, before I sign off, I want to genuinely thank you for giving me this gift of your time and attention. I know how valuable that is. And so it truly means the world to be able to spread this message with you. Now, if you are getting value from this podcast, 
the most helpful thing you can do is to leave a five-star review and share this with your friends. Post a screenshot to your Instagram stories or even text the link to someone specific that you think would find value in this also. So with that, I hope this episode has inspired you to do well and do good. And I'll see you back here next week.